You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, hey, well, welcome to Mill Sunday School. My name is Dan, and uh, I'm be hanging out with you guys here for the next little bit. And uh, so, for those of you getting your your Sunday morning breakfast and coffee, that's that's what this place is for. And uh, then you can have a seat here in a second. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get rolling. This is the beginning of a new series on theology. How many of you guys knew that? Anybody know that? All right, good. So those of you that came ready to study theology, uh, that is uh, well done. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. It's, it's, a, it's a fun fun topic, and so I, I know that this whole month of January will be, uh, it'll be enlightening, it'll be fun, it'll be uh, stretching, and, and so that's one of the great things about studying theology is it, it really does stretch us and our view of God. Uh, I just want to hit on, just as we begin, um, for those of you that don't know me, I work here at New Life. I work with uh, The Furnace, and, uh, and we're going on in starting our, like, 100th semester next week or something like that. So we, uh, we started The Furnace in 2001, and uh, so anyway, uh, that's what I do here. And uh, I, I just want to talk as we begin just on why we're even talking about theology. Uh, a lot of people will argue that theology is not necessarily, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to talk theology because shouldn't we all just get along? And, and, and when you talk theology, we just, it, the, the Bible says we're not supposed to have arguments and, and those kind of things. And, and that's true and that's good. And I don't want to, we're not here to cause arguments and disagreements. Uh, but, but I do think it's healthy to know what you think about God. And that's what theology is, the study of God. And so the, the primary thing for any of you that have been, that, that came to the pre-Christmas series where Pastor Brady was talking about, uh, was talking about Jesus and being all God and all man. And, and he talked a lot about theology. He just didn't use the word a ton. And, uh, and, and he gave a great reason that we study theology is for worship. The reason that we want to know more about God is because the more we know him, the more we will worship him. So in this next month, as, as there's different topics being talked about, uh, I hope that, that the end result is that you have a greater view of who God is, how great God is, and you want to worship him more. And so that really is, uh, that really is the, the reason that we're doing this, so even today. Uh, also, the Bible says to love God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Uh, we're actually supposed to love God with all of our mind. And so it is good to exercise your brain sometimes. Uh, a lot of times we think, yeah, you know, go to church and I'll, I'll leave feeling good. Uh, but, but it really is beneficial to exercise the mind that we can love God with all of our mind. Um, and then finally... Uh, just a quote, uh, a guy named A.W. Tozer said, What a man thinks about God is the most important thing about that man. So whatever it is that you think about when you think about God is one of the greatest things in defining who you are. And, uh, and, and that's one of the greatest things in defining your, your view, because all of us have theology. All of us have a perspective on God. Every person on the planet has, do you, agnostics have a theology. I mean, you know, like, because everybody, if you have any kind of opinion about God, any kind of ideas about God, then you have a theology. And so it's really important that we have a right theology and that we have good theology. Um, so anyway, that's just kind of a, a precursor as we get into this series this month. And uh, this is kind of going to feel maybe, maybe more uh, college classy. That's what Mills United School is for, right? So, uh, but it, it's, I think it'll be really fun. 
Um, but, but one of the important things is, whether it's in table discussions or around the coffee table or on your, on your way out or just as you go throughout the week, one of the really important things as we discuss these topics is that uh, you give me today uh, liberty and, and I give you liberty to, to wrestle with these things on your own for, for yourself. Uh, because I don't think it's beneficial for someone to stand up here and tell you what to think about God. Uh, I, I think that we need to give each other the, the permission and the ability to actually uh, wrestle with these things and question these things. And I don't think, I, I, I don't think, and I know I'm just jumping in real quick. I'm sorry. I, I'll try to be more entertaining later. But uh, I don't think that God is really scared about us questioning things. And so if you have questions about God, I don't think God is like, oh no, I hope they don't question me. I think God invites it. God wants us to question. God wants us to search because in our questions, we're searching him out. And, we're, and, and God is truth. And, God, and so the truth will come. And he's not scared of us, of us looking for the truth. Now, now, how we go about that is important. And, uh, and the moment that we start thinking that we have it all and that we think we know everything, uh, that's a dangerous moment. Uh, but, but I think it's okay for us to study these things out and, and to look into them. So, so that's kind of a, just an overall on why I'm excited that Mill Sunday School is going through this, uh, this series on theology. And uh, so we're going to have some fun today. Is, is that okay? We're going to kind of stir the pot a little bit from the beginning. Um, and so if you're taking notes, uh, just kind of the, I'm going to go over really two different ideas today, but they, they combine together as one. And, uh, and so today I'm going to talk about God's love. And the problem of evil. God's love and the problem of evil. Uh, the Bible says God is love. Yes or no? Yes, God is love. And so that, that comes from 1 John 4, 8. Uh, also in 1 John four ten, it says, In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The, 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 and so God is love. And we can love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. And so I think anytime you're talking about theology, anytime you're talking about who God is, you have to start with this. You have to start with, with God's love. You have to start with the idea that God is love. And so for all of you, I, I encourage you, uh, the point of, of uh, we're going to try to give you bullet points so that you can go home and kind of research these things out a little bit more on your own. Um, and hopefully that's something that stirs in you and that you want to do. But, but I, I want to encourage all of you, the beginning point for any study on theology has to be the, the understanding that God is love. Not just that God loves, but that God actually is love. So I'm not going to get into that uh, too much today, but I, I want us to know that that is the beginning point for all other theology. If we can get that understanding, if we can get that idea, that will be one of the major concepts that will revolutionize your life in God and your relationship with God and your understanding of God is the, uh, is the truth that he is love. So I just want to read uh, a quick definition. God's love may be defined as, and this is from uh, Systematic Theology by Thiessen, uh, that perfection of the divine nature by which God is eternally moved to communicate himself. It is not a mere emotional impulse but a rational and voluntary affection, having its grounds in truth and holiness and its exercise in free choice. I'll read that again. The perfection of divine nature by which God is eternally moved to communicate himself to you. It is not mere emotional impulse or rational voluntary affection. 
It has its grounds in truth and holiness and its exercise in free will. See, when I'm talking about God's love, I'm not talking about the idea that we, we, we kind of have a, a messed up view of love and what love is and the ideas of love. And we use love uh, for all different kinds of things. Uh, you know, friends will say that they love each other. And uh, then we go off and we say that we love pizza and uh we use we use the word love all, all very uh very flippantly um girls will tell guys that they love them so that the guys will say it back guys will tell girls that they love them so that the girls will go on a second date uh you know i mean we'll, we'll use love however we want and it really has very little meaning but this this idea of god's love that, that god is love is the greek word and i'm sure you've all heard this and uh but it's the greek word agape Agape love. And, and the idea is that it's not this emotional, uh, fluttering, butterflies in the stomach, prom date kind of love. Uh, that's not the idea of God's love here. Uh, the idea of God's love is that he loves us in our weakness. He loves us regardless of what we've done. He, he loves us uh, almost as love as a choice. That he's choosing to love us. It, uh, that it's not a mere emotional impulse, but a rational and voluntary affection. God loves you in a rational and voluntary affection. Now, now that's kind of weird to say because we want it to be, oh, God loves me and it's just, it feels so good and, and I'm happy all the time and life's great. And, and so for me to be like that God loves you in a very rational way, it's hard for us to understand. Love in our culture, in our society, the word love isn't rational. We don't define love rationally. But if you think about it, how great is it to think of someone loving you rationally? Someone choosing to love you. Someone making the choice, I will love you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are. Because the truth is, I think many of us don't feel like we deserve the love that we receive. And if people really knew what I've done, if people really knew the way I thought, if people really knew inside who I was, they probably wouldn't really love me. And I'm not saying you feel that, but in a lot of people that I've talked to, we do. a lot of us feel that way. We feel like... the, the People, they say they love us. Really, they kind of like us. I don't know if they really knew me. I'm scared that people get to know me because will they really still like me? God loves you. It, it, it does include emotion. The Bible, the Bible specifically points out, I mean, it's clear that God is jealous over you. It's clear that God dances over you. He sings over you. His love includes emotion, but it's not limited to emotion. Does that make sense? So, so God's love is rational and voluntary affection. It's voluntary affection. Uh, the Greek term agape is translated love. It's frequently used to describe God's love. Uh, just if you want to write these down, John three sixteen, uh, John four forty, or sorry, John five forty two, Romans five five eight thirty five. These are just some verses. Revelations one five. These are some verses that 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 use the word agape and the idea that God loves you rationally and voluntarily. It's nothing that you've done that, that makes him be like, oh man, now I love him or her. Man, they are so good. That they, they are so cool that I'm going to really choose. To, I, I love them now. I can't help it. No, no. He's saying, I love you voluntarily. I love you out of choice. He loves you. He loves you out of, and like I said, it does, it's not void of emotion, but it's not, a, it's not built on emotion. Does that make sense? So God is love. And it's really important, I think, that we understand that. I just want to go over four basic dimensions of God's love. I'm not saying that this is everything, but this is some. Four basic dimensions of God's love. Uh, first off would be benevolence. This is the idea that God, uh, his concern for your welfare, 
for those that love him. The obvious verse of this is John 3.16. God's concerned for the welfare of those who love him. His benevolence. He's concerned about you. In God's love for you, that means that he is concerned for your good. He is concerned about your life. He can, and that's a really big deal. I don't want to skip over that too fast. Think of the idea that the creator of everything, the eternal God, actually is concerned about your welfare. He's actually concerned about your life. That's a pretty big deal. And if we can, if, if we can begin to grasp that, that, that really will change a lot of the way that we see things and we act in, in life. So number one is benevolence. Uh, number two is grace. Another aspect of God's love is his grace. The idea of grace is that God deals with us not on a basis of merit or worthiness, but on a basis of goodness and generosity. God's grace is the idea that you haven't earned God's grace. He doesn't deal with you because you so deserve his grace. But it's his generosity. It's his goodness. It's nothing that you've earned. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Nothing you can do earns God's love. He's chosen to love you. Nothing you can do. His grace is that he is given, it is given freely. It's not earned by you. Number three is mercy. And I think a lot of times we, we switch grace and mercy around and we don't really know the definitions of either. And so we just throw out words thinking we know what they mean. And I'm guilty of that. You know, I get pulled over and I pray for God's mercy or grace or benevolence. Whatever will get me out of this ticket right now. You know, I'm just, God, help me some way. Uh, but mercy is God's tender-hearted, loving compassion for you. So this is, this is the idea uh, when you look at Jesus' life. And you look at Jesus, and he oftentimes healed the sick. He oftentimes helped people out. That was his mercy on them. That was his tender-hearted, loving compassion. Mark one forty-one. Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out his hand and touched the man, saying, I am willing, be clean. Jesus, if you look, if you read through the gospel so often, when Jesus performs a miracle, it says it's because he was filled with compassion. He was filled with, he was moved to help people. And that's his, that is his mercy. That's the idea of mercy. And then number four, the, the fourth dimension of God's love. And like I said, there's, I'm sure there's more. These are just, this is a quick overview. Uh, the fourth dimension of God's love is his persistence. God's persistence. I think that's defined in a couple ways. Obviously, we love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. Therefore, God is, uh, is pursuing you. He loves you. And, and in that, our hearts respond in love. But his persistence is also uh, the withholding of judgment and offering salvation over long periods of time. God's persistence, he has offered salvation to mankind. And in his, love, in his love for us, it's this, it's this weird dichotomy that, that we suffer with of this idea that we want, God, we want Jesus to return quickly. We want him to return, but it's also his not returning is his love because he wants more people to come to him. And so it's this, it's this weird dynamic that, that we suffer with of, of we pray for his return and we pray for people to come to know him. And, and in his sovereignty, he knows what's best. And so, but his persistence is his willingness to withhold judgment in order to allow salvation. Second Peter 3.15 says, bear in mind that our, Lord is patient, that our Lord's patience means salvation. His patience means salvation. So that, that's kind of the idea uh, that God is love and God does love. 
And, and I think that's where we have to start. That's where in any kind of study of who God is, we have to start with the idea of he is love. And that, that is the, that if you read through the Bible, if you read through this book, it is time and time again a story about God's love for human, humanity, his love for his people, and, and our reciprocating love. So you have to start there. But I wanted to get into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty. Uh, I wanted to get a little bit more into how does this impact us on a day-to-day level. And, uh, and so that's where the uh, idea of talking about as we start uh, God's love and the problem of evil. Because I just painted a picture of a God that is benevolent, that, is, that has grace and mercy, that is persistent, that, that, wants every, that, wants, that cares about your needs and has compassion for you. But in reality, when we look at life, when we, when we, if I were to sit down and talk with each and every one of you, I'm sure there are problems in your life. I'm sure that you have gone through things of difficulty in your life. I'm sure you've suffered pain. I'm sure that you have a relative that is sick or you, have, or, or you know someone who is suffering greatly of something. And the, the truth is, is that we deal with on a day-to-day basis for some of us really Gross things in life. Bad things. I was watching the news the other night. I live here in Colorado Springs, as most of you probably do as well. And uh, Colorado Springs, it's a cute little town, I think. And uh, and so we like to live here. And uh, I see some of your faces. You don't live here. That's okay. Uh, And so I turned on the news and, you know, I I, I am uh, interested in what's going on in the city I live in once a month. And uh, so... No, that's not true. I do watch the news every day. Um, It's just on ESPN. And uh, anyway, so I I turn on the news and uh, and the first three stories in Colorado Springs were about someone getting shot at different locations in this city. Someone shooting someone else in Colorado Springs. Now listen, this is Colorado Springs. I mean... This is a cute little city. This is like a little mountain town, right? No, there's no nothing bad. I, I, I was really shocked. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the first shoot story was about someone that got shot. And I was like, man, that is horrific. And I felt for the family. I felt for everybody involved. And then the next story, shooter on whatever street, you know. And, and I mean, just one, two, three. And I was like, man. Anywhere you go, all of us are impacted by, by these, this idea, these things, that, that bad things happen in the world. Do you agree that bad things happen in the world? The world we live in is not perfect, right? There is not all good all the time. Why is there death and disease? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there sickness? The age-old question that, that so many people have asked, why do bad things happen to good people? That's what we want to know, Right? Now, there's, a, there's probably some wrong thinking in that statement, assuming people are good. But the idea of why do bad things happen in general? Let's just, let's forget the good people part. Let's just ask, why do bad things happen? I mean, if, if God is all loving, why do, why do we have to deal with such bad things happening? I mean, let, let's look at God. And if God is all powerful, is God all powerful? Yes or no? Yes. Good. If you said no, then we'd have to go on a different tangent. <laughs> okay, so if God is all-powerful and God is good, meaning God is love, right? Okay, if God is good and God is love and God is all-powerful, then shouldn't the world reflect that? Shouldn't the world we live in reflect those characteristics of the God that, that created this world? But so often it doesn't. Actually, 
Most of the time, it doesn't. And so as Christians, we need to ask the question, why? Why is it that that the world we live in, we serve a God that is love. We serve a God that is all powerful. We live in a world that is jacked up. Why? You know, and we need to, and, and we need to begin wrestling with those things and asking those things. I think this is where most people, or, or I'll say many people, they, they deduce that they look, if God is all powerful and God is all, all good, then the world is a problem. If God is all good and all loving, then the world should reflect that. The world doesn't reflect that. Therefore, I don't believe in God. I think most people that you find to be uh, atheists or agnostics uh, will oftentimes come from a place of seems that God is all powerful and can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants says that he's loving, says that he's good. The world's messed up. I don't believe it. Either he's not all powerful, not all good, or he's, and if, if he's not that, then I'm not going to worship. He's not God or, or, you know, he's really evil. I mean, look at the, the, cause, cause the world's messed up or he just doesn't exist. One of the three. And, uh, and I think that's where many people go in, in there. And obviously that's too quick. It's, it's years of, of getting there. But, but a lot of times when we suffer evil things or bad things, I'm going to say evil and, and uh, I'll try to say bad. I don't know what evil means to you. Maybe you hear evil and you just think like orcs and Lord of the Rings or something. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, I, I'm just talking about bad things, things that are not perfect, things that are not God's will, things that are not, things that are not uh, in alignment with God's personality and character. Does that make sense? When I, so when I say evil, that's what I mean. Um, and so, uh, so we ask why. Why do those things happen? And so I, I, think, uh, I think there's a pretty interesting and, and good answer for it. From, and, and it starts off way back in the day. How many of you guys... This is not way back in the day. How many of you guys seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Anybody seen this movie? It's a, it a few years old. Kind of funny. Kind of crass. Uh, so in this movie, for those of you that haven't seen it, I'll let you know real quick. In this movie, there's this dude, his name's Bruce. And uh, there's this other guy, his name's God. And uh, God's played by Morgan Freeman because it's Morgan Freeman, you know. And, uh, and, and then Bruce is played by Jim Carrey. And, uh, and so Bruce, for some reason, some, some, you know, things happen in movies. And, and all of a sudden, God is going to give Bruce all of his powers. And, and, and for one week, he's going to have all of his powers. And, and little does he know, he's only going to have responsibility for Buffalo, New York. But, but he's going to have all the powers of God. And so Morgan Freeman's talking to him in his Morgan Freeman way. And, uh, and as, he's, as he's talking to him, he, he says, listen, you're going to have all the powers. You can do whatever you want. Oh, but there's just one thing. You cannot force people to love you. So you cannot mess with free will. And then Bruce says, why not? And he says, well, can I ask why not? And God says, yes, you can. That's the beauty of it. I love that line. And uh, so he says, he says, you have all the powers that you could ever want. You can do anything, but you can't mess with free will. You cannot force people to love you. So I want to I introduce this morning the idea, and most of you maybe have wrestled with this and thought through this. But I believe that in the world we live in, where we serve a God that is all-powerful and all-loving, that is not just all-loving, that he actually is love. And yet we live in a world that is messed up and jacked up. And there's pain and suffering and evil all around us. I want to say that the reason for that is because, because of the system created from the beginning of, with Adam and Eve, where God did not want to create robots that were for he didn't listen god already had angels worshiping him day and night 
God didn't need to make humanity in order to have more people worship him. The reason mankind was created was because God wanted relationship and, and God is love and he wanted reciprocating love. But in order to have that reciprocating love, there has to be choice. So later in this, in this movie, and it's uh, Bruce Almighty, it's not the, it's, I should have just played that this morning. But, uh, you know, so, so he's, he, he's got all of God's powers. And so he's doing whatever he wants. I mean, he's walking on water. He's getting new clothes without buying them. He has a new car. You know, he's, he's uh, t- making mon- monkeys fly out of orifices of other people. And, uh, he, I, and, you know, he's making the moon bigger in order to woo his girlfriend. I didn't say it was a moral movie. I just said it was a movie. And so, you know, and, uh, and so he's doing, he's using all these powers. But there comes this point where, where his girlfriend leaves him and blah, blah, blah. And, and he looks at her. And, and for the whole movie, he's able to do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And then, and she's mad at him, and she's left him. And so he looks at her, and, and he's like, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. And she looks at him like, you're crazy. I mean, here's someone, he's like painted in the clouds, and he's like, I mean, he's, he, he's, he, for, for the, most of the movie, done whatever he wants, and because he has all these powers, he can do it. And all of a sudden, love me, love me, love me, love me. And she just looks at him like he's crazy. Because when he was given the powers, God said, you can do anything you want, but you cannot mess with free will. You cannot force someone to love you. If you go back to Genesis 2, in the beginnings, in, in the garden, uh, you got Adam and Eve hanging out in the garden. And, uh, and it's really in, an interesting thing because God creates man in his image and puts him in the garden. And, uh, and really, actually, we're just at Adam right now. Eve is later. Uh, so, so you're just Adam. God creates this dude out of his, you know, he, out of dust and just makes him. And, uh, and then he, he puts him in the garden and uh, breathes life into him. And, and if you look at the story, God gives Adam a lot to do. God's like, hey, here are all the animals on the earth. Name them. That's going to take some time. That's a pretty big thing. Then he's like, oh, here is Eden. Uh, take care of it. So, do, you know, take care of the ground. Do everything you need. So, so Adam, Adam has, he's not bored is what I'm saying. I mean, you know, he's got a lot to do. And, and God gives one thing that, he, that he's not to do. And that's eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He gives him a ton to do. He gives him so much freedom. He says, eat of anything you want other than this tree. And isn't it so like us? Isn't it so like human beings to have everything we could ever want? But then there's that one little thing that you told me I can't do that. Listen, I see this all the time. I told you uh, I work with the furnace and we have a very necessary and yet unfortunate for some people uh, rule of, of no dating your first semester of the furnace. And, uh, and for all of you considering it, don't worry. It's, it's really short time. I mean, one semester is easy. And anyway, uh, most, you know, so, so people come in and, and I've seen this all the time. So often I've seen the people come in that um, for 18 to 22 years of their life, they have not dated. And, uh, and it's really been pretty easy for them not to date because they can't get a date or something of that nature. And, uh, and, and when they had the freedom to date, they was fine and it was good and they didn't care. And I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm good right now. I don't need a date. I'm just, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, for the next three months, we're just going to ask that you set that time aside in order to pursue God and put aside any relationships. And all of the sudden, this person that has never dated before in their life 
is like Mr. Flirt, you know, and he's like, oh man, I just need a girlfriend so bad. I just, I just, I've waited 19 years and I've never dated. Now they're telling me I can't, I just want it so bad. And we just, we want what we can't have. And when you could have it, you didn't, you couldn't get it or you didn't want it. But now that someone tells you you can't have it, now it's all of a sudden, oh man, I just need it so bad. And I think that's what Adam and Eve felt a little bit. They're like, look at all these trees. I mean, everything. We get to name all the animals. We get to take care of Eden. Everything's great. And we have so much to do. But that tree. Oh, I just need it. It's just, I need it so much. And so they walk up to the tree. And, uh, and they eat of the forbidden fruit. <laughs> as we call it. I don't know. They eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And, uh, and it's an interesting thing. Because... Were they destined to eat of that fruit? Did they have to eat of that fruit? I mean, was that, was that what they were supposed to do? Or was that their choice? I want to argue today that that was completely their choice. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So God commands Adam and Eve to not eat of this tree. He commands them not to. And this verse here says that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is a New Testament verse, but the Bible also says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is immutable, if you will. He he, he doesn't change ever. And so the idea is that I believe that in that moment, he gave them a way out. In that moment, they didn't have to, to make this choice. Now, you don't have to go there with me. I'm just, I know I'm taking a verse from Corinthians and applying it to Genesis. and That's a little scary, but I'm just saying, if God is the same forever past and forever future, and he says, I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and when you're tempted, I'll give you a way out. I believe Adam and Eve had a way out. I believe Adam and Eve did not have to eat of that tree. I believe that they didn't have to make that choice. It was their choice in that moment. And, they, and once they made that choice, all of a sudden, sin entered into the world. We know it as the fall. And from then on, nothing is the same. Nothing is the same. I believe that the reason there, are, there is bad things in this world is fundamentally because we have choice. And as humans, we make wrong choices. But God, in his perfection, wants us to love him. And love must be voluntary. Love cannot, lo- love cannot be programmed. I got married uh, about 15 months ago. And uh, let's just pretend for a minute that I, this is my wife Amy right back here. She is perfect. And uh, let's just pretend for a minute that she wasn't perfect. Okay? And, and, and pretend that I had an, uh, the ability to create some sort of, you know, like computer chip that I could place in her and make her do everything that I want, you know, like, oh man, I'm really hungry, boop, 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 boop. you know, and she like, go make me dinner or something, or like, you know, like, I can just, I can do whatever, and, and, okay, if that were the case, then what I would have is like a robot from the Jetsons, you know, that little robot from the Jetsons that, that, that just did everything, I wouldn't have a wife, you know, like, because if I, if Amy just did, if, if I programmed her to do everything I wanted her to do, then, then maybe for like a week, I'd be like, this is awesome, great, this is so great. And then after a while, I'd be like, this is kind of boring. 
and uh, I try to talk to this this wife that is programmed to be the perfect wife, and uh, she just says what I want her to say, so I already know what she's going to say before she says it, and so I'm kind of bored with this conversation. I'm just going to go talk to myself now, you know, and uh, the idea of, of that, that my wife has chosen to love me, and she doesn't do everything exactly how I tell her to do it. That would be weird. That would be not good for those of you that are engaged or married or going to get there one day. Your wife doesn't do everything you tell her to do. If that's your idea of marriage, <laughs> let's talk later. But so the, idea, the, the, the idea of love is that it's reciprocated, that it is between, for us, it's between two people, and it's not forced. And, and God wants that kind of love because if God just created us and we were forced to love him, then it wouldn't really be love. But he wants actual relationship. He wants actual love. Therefore, he gave us the ability to make choices. He gave us the ability to choose right and wrong. He gave us the ability to choose to love him or to not. Some of you don't believe me. Let me show you some uh, ideas of choice in the Bible. I'm going to read just a bunch of Bible verses, if that's okay. Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28. This is God. See, I'm setting before you today blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Joshua twenty four fifteen. This is Joshua speaking. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Do you hear those choices in those Old Testament stories? Do you hear the choice? Choose good or evil. Choose blessing or curse. Choose who you're going to serve. And, and, and I mean, these verses in Deuteronomy, this is God telling the people to choose, which in my idea, if God tells you to do something, it probably means that it's possible. And so God's saying, choose, do you want blessing or curse? And how you, how you choose, how you act today will dictate what happens in the future. Luke seven, verse 30. This is an interesting one. Luke seven thirty. but the Pharisees and experts of the law rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. The Pharisees rejected God's purposes. That means that they had a choice. If God had purpose for them and they rejected it, that meant that they chose poorly. Then you got David, Acts 13, 36. For when David had served God's purposes in his generation... Uh, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. When David served God's purpose for his own gener- in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. David fulfilled. He served God's purposes. He made the right choice. You have other verses, 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us. Compel implies choice. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that, that one died for all and therefore all died. Jesus talking in Luke 14. Uh, this is the parable of the great banquet. I know I'm just running through these real quick. If you want to, you can write down the whatever. And uh, Luke 14, 23, Jesus, this is the parable of the great banquet. So equating to our relationship with God, equating to the, the wedding supper of the lamb. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That's the new King James version. 
Again, the idea of compel in those last two verses implies choice. If you're compelled to do something, it implies choice. I just read those to say, to, to say that, that in the Bible, and there's, there's, there's a lot more, but these are some of the verses in the Bible that show that as humans, we have choice. Adam and Eve had a choice. You have choices to make. And in those choices, you can choose right and you can choose wrong. And I'm not saying it's always that clear. I'm not saying that everything is cute and rosy and that we know it's either A or B. What I am saying is that when, when we look at life, we have choices. The reason we have choice is because God wants us to choose him. Because he wants you to love him. And the reason that you'll love him is because he himself loved you. He is love. Therefore, he wants real love. And so he gives you the choice to love him. But intrinsically, in giving you the choice to love him, you have to have the choice not to. And it'll break his heart. And the Bible says that. There's verses in the Bible that talk about God being grieved. That God's heart being broken when people don't choose him. But he wants, he, he wants real relationship with you. And so it's, I believe that it's because of that ability to make choices. We're, as humans, we make wrong choices. We want the things that we're not supposed to have. And so uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in his book, it's called The Problem of Pain. He said, some people think they can imagine a creature which was free, but had no possibility of going wrong. I cannot. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. If something is free to be good, then it's also free to be bad. If God's given you choice in order that you would love him, then you also can choose not to. So ultimately, we still have to start asking the question and asking ourselves, okay, but we still live in this world where messed up things happen. And, and this is why this is so important. Because I do believe that all of this is tied into the idea that God is love. And um, what I said at the beginning, the quote by A.W. Tozer, when he said that what, essentially what you think about when you think about God is, says the most about you, um, is what do you think about when you think about God in these circumstances? When bad things happen, what, what, is, our, what, what is our immediate reaction when, when, when my mom gets cancer, or when my, when my best friend gets fired, or when uh, my grandma dies, or, or when these things that, that seem so bad happen, when I know someone who's, who's sick, what, what, how do I, how, in my mind, wh- what do I do? How do I respond? And the reason I think this is a really important topic is because it is so easy in our culture and for most people to automatically go to it's God's fault. God did it. And, and therefore, there's this anger that builds in so many of us towards God. And even if we have right perspective of, you know, if God did it, it it's good. And, and therefore, I'm going to trust that it, it's, it's right. That still, there still is in so many of us this, that doesn't change the fact that we're hurt. And that there's pain. And, and so oftentimes, we start to build up accusation in our hearts towards God. And friends, I want to tell you today that I think accusation towards God is one of the most dangerous things that you can have. Accusation towards God on why this or why that. And so, in, in, in the scope of life, one day, one day we're going to look back and we're going to see how all of human history worked. And how God, where God was. And we'll, we'll look and we'll be like, oh, it really was like that cheesy footprints 
poem on top of my mom's toilet, you know, whatever, you know, but, but we're going to look back and, and we're going to see where God was involved and, and, and caring for us. And we didn't even know it. We're going to see all the things he was behind that, that we didn't even see. But you know what? When bad things happen, there's another option than blaming God. You can blame Satan. Do you know that there is good and there is evil in this world? And not, I mean, when bad things happen, I mean, look, just look at what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says very clearly that First John, John five nineteen, Satan is in control of the world. Second Corinthians four four, Satan is the god of this age. Ephesians two two, Satan is the prince of the air. We serve a real God, and we are at war with a real enemy. And so every time something happens, listen, it's clear in the Bible that that Satan wants bad things to happen. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when when the innocent kid gets sick, or when when the 13-year-old gets hit by the car, you can, there is there can be an anger at you towards or in you towards evil that, that that compels you to love more and to go for good and to believe in God because the Bible John ten ten Satan comes to kill steal and destroy and it's so many of our tendency to just try to relax and say we can't explain it and God has purpose for it listen God is sovereign and can do whatever He wants to do and can use that situation but Satan came to kill steal and destroy and so when bad things happen. It is because we live in a fallen world. When natural disasters happen, we live in a fallen world. When, I mean, with, with ever, since Ad, ever since Adam and Eve ate that pear, everybody says it's an apple. The Bible doesn't say what fruit it is, and I don't like pears, so it's a pear. <laughs> ever since they ate that pear, evil's been in this world, and therefore we can't. That there is that element that we have to we have to accept that, that is part of this world, and so. There doesn't have to be in your heart accusation towards God every time something happens. When you look at Jesus' ministry, when you look at who Jesus was and in his ministry, he came and he combated many of the evils that were in the world of, at his time. He healed people. He cast out demons. Luke eleven seventeen, 17, uh, Jesus had just cast out a demon from someone. And uh, then the Pharisees... You know, started calling him a heretic or something. That word didn't exist then, but uh, they didn't like him. And so Jesus says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. Essentially saying, God didn't want that demon in that person. And I cast it out. And I couldn't have put it in there because a house divided against itself will fall. Luke 13, uh, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. There's a woman, she's crippled, and it's a Saturday. And... He's not supposed to do anything on Sabbath. Jews aren't supposed to do anything. Jesus heals this woman. Again, the Pharisees don't like it. And then listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I won't read the whole thing, but in Luke 13, 16, he said, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from, day from what bound her? Jesus said, This woman has been kept crippled and bound by Satan. Not... God did this so that when I came, I would be able to heal her and all of you would see my great miraculous ability. No, he was ticked off. And he was like, it is wrong that this woman is crippled. Therefore, I want to see her healed. And he healed her. Satan came, or sorry, Jesus came to combat Satan. That would have been really wrong if I had played that out to its end. Jesus' ministry was offensive towards the enemy. 
And so I say that to you today to say that in your life, there will be good days and bad days. The Bible doesn't promise that we're going to all, everything's going to be, you know, flowers and daisies and good times and all that stuff the rest of our life. Actually, you know, one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. The Bible says to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now today, take up your cross is nice. You know, we wear a nice little necklace around our neck. It's gold and we're we're so great and taking up my cross. No, I mean, when the day that that was said, the cross was the worst death you could possibly have. And the Bible says, take up your cross, willingly give your life. So I say that not, not to depress you, but to say, you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. There'll be days that are fun and there'll be days that are hard. And, and there'll be times in your life where, there, where evil will happen. And how we react in that moment, it's important that we have a right perspective. That God is love. And that there is a real enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we don't have to blame God. Now, now I'm not trying to say that we need to assess everything. Because we're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to assess everything that happens in my life. Like, I can't say this is obviously God and this is obviously not. There are, maybe there are times of that, but I'm not trying to say that we can assess everything. But what I am saying is that God is love. Once love from you, therefore gave you choice. And some people make wrong choices. And we have to deal with that. Actually, one person made a wrong choice and all of us have to deal with that forevermore. But... As I read earlier, the, the, the verse that said, because of love, Jesus came to be our propitiation. One man, God, became man, made all right choices. And therefore, we can have perfect relationship with him forevermore. Because God became man, gave his life for us. This is, and as, as cheesy as it sounds, this is a love story. This whole book, this Bible, is about God's love for mankind. Wanting to redeem us to him so that we can have relationship with him. One other piece of good news. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Friends, we serve a God who is all powerful. We serve a God who is all good. He is love. And you know what this says here? This is a promise. That God works all things together For the good of those who love him. If you love God. If you have given your life to him. Then you know what? You can look at every situation that happens around you. The the good ones and the bad ones. And you can say. You know what? This, this, This is really difficult right now. But I know that I serve a God that will use this. I'm not saying God did this. But God will use this. In order for his good in order for my good. Because he works all things together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. As we, as we continue studying theology, one of the things I think is really important about it is how it plays out in our life. So I think it's really important that we understand what it means that God is love. And I think it's really important that we understand that there is evil in the world and there is a real enemy Who's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And when those things happen, how do we respond? And I want to encourage you today that we can respond in confidence, in knowing who our God is, that he loves us, that we love him, and that he will work it together for our good. Because we love him and have been called according to his purposes.
And I, so I think it's really important for us to keep wrestling with these things. Um, I probably said some things today that, that I don't know, half of you don't agree with. That's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I want to encourage you. Uh, we, we live in America and you can go, most of you probably have two or three of these at home. And uh, if, you, if you don't, you can go to Walmart and get a Bible for $5. And, uh, and, and I want to encourage you to, to read the Bible. And find out what does it say and what do I believe. And you don't have to believe the way that I believe. And you don't have to believe the way that, that Joe believes. And you don't have to believe. You, I'm not telling you what to believe. But I am, I am offering you the invitation to wrestle with these ideas. And the things that maybe that I've said that you disagree with, wrestle with them. And say, God, why do I disagree with this? Is this true? Was he making this up? Or, you know, or, or, or what's true about it and what's not? And what do I believe? And, and really come to know what it is that you believe. Because, and this is just because I'm, I get to, I'm on a little bit of a soapbox here. I believe that most, of, most Americans don't really have theology. We have whatever is convenient for the situation that we're in. And we'll say whatever, whatever we've heard before. We have this conglomeration of ideas that we've just randomly heard people say for all of our life. And, you know, I went to church when I was five and now I'm back at 22 and I've heard two sermons. And so I fuse those together and that's what I believe. And, you know, like, I know I, I want to encourage you. Find out what the Bible says and ask God to open it up to you and ask God, God, I want to know you. And, and I want to know what is real about you. And I think that that is one of the... I think that's one of the things that brings the most joy to his heart is when we say, God, I want to understand this. I want to know. Help me understand. Expand my understanding. Unveil my eyes. Let me see you in a greater way. And so I hope that as as we talk through theology and the different ideas, that all that this really does is spur you on to wanting to seek God and find him out for yourself. And I'm not telling you to, to not use books. I'm not telling you to not listen to teachers. Th- those things are right and good. And it, you know, like read the, read the, the classics and, and, and know those things. I'm not telling you to come up with your own theology that's just weird and fits whatever it is you want. I'm not telling you that. But what I'm saying is wrestle with it for yourself. Don't believe it because someone else said it. And don't just have no idea what you believe. Does that make sense? Let me pray for you today. Father, we love you. God, I am so grateful for who you are. That you are love. That you love us so greatly. Thank you that you are all-powerful, all-knowing. Deserving of our worship. And Jesus, I pray that in each one of us, you will place a desire to seek you out. To seek you and find you with all of our heart. To know who you are. To worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, may in all of us, as we, as we study and as we, as we ask questions and as we learn about you, may it only expand our heart's desire to worship you. You are king. You are God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.